have a Bible, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as this morning we begin what some have called the most important chapter in the Bible. And I thought that was interesting. You know, the, the book of Romans has been described as the best gospel book. Uh, John 3.16 has been described as the best gospel verse. But 1 Corinthians 15 has been described as the best gospel chapter. Meaning that if you had to pick one chapter out of the Bible in order to best understand the gospel, this may be the best place to go. And so this morning we're going to cover the gospel. And to be honest, about 95% of what we're going to cover today is the first four verses on the gospel but we're going to go beyond that. We're also going to go all the way to verse 11. And so basically, in verses 1 through 4, we're going to see the gospel that saves. In verses 5 through 8, we'll see the gang who saw. And in verses 9 through 11, we'll see the grace to serve. And so it was kind of cool, um, you know, going through this study and just kind of soaking myself in these scriptures man i'll be honest with you guys uh, as we were doing worship right now i was just praising god for my salvation even though the, i'm a knucklehead even though i fail and i fall short every single day i know that i'm forgiven that i am a christian that if something were to happen to me and i would die i know i'm going to heaven because i know the gospel and so, you know, there's a peace, there, there's a burden that's lifted when you understand what the gospel is and you believe it. And that's why we're going to spend so much time on that today. Not only do we need to possess it to be saved, we also need to protect it. What is the gospel? Make sure there's no heresy and we need to preach it. And so today we see, first of all, the gospel that saves Notice what we read here in verses 1 through 4. Paul the Apostle says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And we're going to see in verses 1 through 4 everything we need to know about the gospel. There again in verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Now, we're not sure why Paul at this point says this. Um, were the Corinthians unclear about the gospel? Uh, was there some sort of confusion about it? Uh, maybe there was a question about it. Uh, we don't know for sure. Or, or maybe it wasn't a question they had. Maybe it was a question that Paul had. You know, maybe Paul was thinking, man, I, I wonder if these people are, are even saved. Uh, I better give them the gospel because even in the church, there was a lot of things going on. The Corinthians were carnal. They lacked love, which is the sign of salvation. And so maybe it wasn't a question they had. Maybe it was a question that Paul had. And I think every pastor, as he's preaching to a group of people, even though they might come to church every week, even though they might have the T-shirt, even though they might be involved in ministry, they know that there might be some, there probably are some people watching right now who've been watching every week who aren't saved. 
And so he says, I better, I better give them the gospel, you know. The Corinthians, they were divisive, they lacked love, they were sinful, and they were even proud of it. And so, again, I'm not exactly sure why Paul shares. More likely, it's both things. And so we're just blessed by the fact that he does share. Because here in verses 1 through 4, we have the gospel written out so simple and so straightforward. You know, that even though we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that separates us from God, Christ was crucified. Christ died for our sins. They put him in a tomb, but he rose again from the dead. We're going to see that in verses 3 through 4, defeating death. And all we have to do, our part, all we have to do is believe in him. From our hearts, receive his righteousness. And then he will save us and lead us as the Lord of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe? Do you really believe? You know, we see the word believe there in, in verse 2. We, we see it again in, in verse 11. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. You know, that's an important word and that's something that we have to settle in our hearts. John 3.16, the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Remember in the book of Acts chapter 16 when the Philippian jailer said, what do I need to do to be saved? They, they just said, so simple, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I'm so glad it doesn't say behave and you'll be saved, you know, because, man, like I said, at the end of the day, especially when you realize that we're talking about a standard of perfection, we're talking about comparing yourself to Christ, to God, that we all fall short every single day. And salvation is not by our works, it's by his work. It's not by us behaving, it's by us believing. Do you believe? We don't have to earn it. None of us ever could. All we have to do is receive it. All we have to do is receive him. Notice again there in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand. You see, salvation is, is a gift that we are given. According to Romans 6.23, we receive it. Uh, it said it's in John chapter 1 verse 12 as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God you know I, I know most of you know the word gospel it literally means good news and you know with all that's going on in the world today we sure could use some good news huh I you know I know for us it would be good news if our loved ones had, you know, an immunity from the virus or if there was a vaccine, if there was an end to the quarantine. I know that would be great news when that day uh, happens. I'm going to dance. I'm just joking. I, I, I couldn't do that. You guys would laugh. But I think I will celebrate. I will sing. Oh, man, what a day that will be. You know, it would be good news if America got back to work or beyond all that. How about if you know, we found a cure for cancer or just a cure for my kid. Maybe some of you have your children that are going through things. I mean, that's good news. In our eyes and ears, that is good news. But this is the best news of all. 
That when we receive and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are saved from the power and penalty of sin. And we can rest in that. We can have peace in that. We can know that we are washed clean and the righteousness of Christ is imputed to our life. It lifts the burden and it's so important to understand the gospel. That's why there in verse 1, Paul says, I declared the gospel. In verse 1, I preached the gospel. In verse 1, we see the church received the gospel. There it says the, the church stands in the gospel, right? And, and then in verse 2, I don't want to miss this. Speaking of the gospel, look at what it says again, if you would. Notice he says, By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, you know, I don't want to read too much into this. Uh, it's so beautiful how the gospel saves us from the power and penalty of sin. But there is a little word there that's very important, and that is that word if. He says, this is how you're saved, but notice he says, if you hold fast that word. And so other translations say, if you hold firmly, or if you continue to believe. That's what the New Living translation says and so you know we got we got to know and i think paul here had a concern for the corinthians just like every caring pastor has a concern for the people you know they used to come to church service and and now they don't they used to whatever read their bible pray they used to fellowship they used to send out text messages they used to post things about the lord but now they don't and so you have that concern how are they doing you know, we need to hold tight to what is true and not be led away by the lies of the land. You know, the world, I've noticed this, man, they have a way of wearing you down. You know, little by little, you know, you don't really need to be around Christians, uh-huh, you know, and, and you don't really need to be a Christian. You, you don't need Christ. I mean, you're a good person. Think about it. Come on. God would never condemn you. Uh, but Paul here says, no, you've got to hold tight to these things. It's interesting how he says, if you hold fast the word. Now, I thought that was interesting because, of course, we know he's talking about the gospel message. But he's also talking, I think, about the Bible because there's such a connection in that. We have to cling to the, to the Bible. You know, one of the easiest ways, and I'm just talking in a practical sense because... A lot of times what's going on on the inside manifests itself on the outside. And one of the easiest ways to drift away is you begin day by day to let go of the Bible. And you stop reading it. And, and we need to hold fast to the word. You know, I encourage you hold tight to what is right, to what God wrote. Hold tight to the written word. Hold tight to the living word. You know, it's kind of cool when sometimes you get to know a couple of people and you see them. Sometimes it's a couple, a husband and wife or whatever, friends. Have you guys ever heard that, that phrase, hey, they're tight? You know, they're, they're tight, man. They're close to each other. That's how we should be with Jesus. Man, I, I want to encourage you because I know as a, a Christian man, the world wants to get you busy. There's so many distractions and we make justifications for so many things that we put before God. 
And, and I just encourage you, don't let anything come before you and God. For me, I have to wake up in the morning and spend time in the Word. I can't do anything else. This is my conviction. I don't know if it's your conviction. Your conviction might be different. But I can't you know, check my emails. I can't check social media. I can't check the news. I can't because in my life, I feel like if I do that, then I'm putting something before God. God has to come first. And so however it works in your life, hold tight. Hold tight to him. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Galatians, the Galatians were turning away. And we read in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You know, Paul was concerned with them, just like every caring pastor is concerned when sometimes they don't see people or sometimes they don't hear from people. That's why when you're reading the gospel here, Paul here says, hey, this is how you're saved. All you have to do is believe. But make sure you keep believing, by, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You know, as a, a person who cares about your salvation, one of the things I've learned, and I've been a Christian for a long time, man, I definitely have learned uh, not to major on the minors, not to divide over doctrine, that's for sure. You know, as a pastor raised in Calvary Chapel with Pastor Chuck Smith, he taught the doctrine of abiding. And that means that I'm eternally secure as I abide in Jesus Christ. I just rest in him. I just remain in him. I just keep believing till the day I die. You know, if you keep believing like Job did through thick and thin, you'll make it in. Because, man, we're going to get hit hard. Things are going to happen to rock our world, to shake our faith. And the one thing, and I see people going through tremendous trials, even today, you know, just talking to people over the phone and in different ways. And I'm so blessed because they have held tight to their faith. Kind of like Job, he, he said, I, I was reading it today in my devotions, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That no matter what happens, I will always believe in Jesus. All we have to do is believe and hold fast to this word. And that's not too hard if you think about it. Jesus is the one who did the hard work. Notice what we read there in verse 3. Paul says, For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. Earlier, Paul said he declared the message. He also said he preached the message. Here, he says he delivered the message. He wasn't the cook. He was just the waiter. He wasn't the man. He was just a delivery boy. And this is all he did. You know, here he's just giving the simple message. And yet, so profound. When you think about it, Christ died for our sins. Think about that. All the wrongs we've ever done, all the bad thoughts that only him and I know about, all the 
the bad words. All you, some of you guys out there used to throw the four-letter words down, the F-bombs. He died for those. All the, the bad things that all the world and all of time have ever done were placed on him. All my failures, all my flaws, past, present, future. He died for my sins, for your sins, our sins, and suffered the punishment that we deserved. And so it's good to have a clear understanding of that. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. You see, Christ died for our sins. He was the lamb that was slain, the rock that was smitten. And he's even symbolized in scripture as a serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness. In the book of Numbers chapter 21, there was a crazy story there where some of the people were bitten by snakes and they were dying and so the Lord told Moses to take a brass pole and wrap a snake around it, lift it up. And all the people have to do is look at it and they'll be healed. And Jesus said in John chapter 3 verse 14 that as that serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And as he was lifted up and there he is hanging on a cross, dying for our sins, all you have to do is believe. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And so the gospel is so simple. Christ died for our sins. Do you believe that? All the stuff that you've done wrong, not just the bad things you've done, but the good things you failed to do. He died for that. And so... I pray that we would know this. It's important for us, you know, to know we're free. I mean, there's really no way that we're going to really enjoy this relationship with Christ and, until we know how loved we are, how free we are, how forgiven we are, how every single sin was nailed to the cross, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and so the next time the devil tries to beat you down to the ground and condemn you about something you've done in the past, you know Christ died for that. When he tries to condemn you, maybe right now about the present, something's going on in your life, listen, just repent and remember he died for that. It's time for a new beginning. It's time to turn over a new leaf. You know, something we do in the future, and I'm not, not saying you should go and sin presumptuously because you know your sins are forgiven, but we will all fail and we will all fail miserably because we have to compare ourselves to Jesus. But when that happens, remember, Christ died for our sins. He paid the price. Question, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe in his blood? Have you received his righteousness? And then Paul here, he mentions the fact that not only did he die for our sins, but that he rose from the dead. Notice again in verse 4, and that he was buried. And then he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. You know, and that's part of the gospel. You tell people Jesus died for you, and you tell them that he rose again, because that's part of the gospel. The good news is not only that Christ died for our sins, but three days after that, they, they, that he rose again. 
You know, it's kind of weird. You know, some people, uh, they actually believe in the crucifixion of Jesus, but they don't believe in the resurrection. And that's a big problem. As a matter of fact, notice we we read here, if you go over to verse 12, uh, Paul had to deal with this. There were people there in Corinth that were teaching that. Notice there in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, it says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also is empty. See, that's why when we deliver the message, when we declare it, we preach not only the death but the resurrection because it's important for us to understand the life that we have after death. It's trust in the truth of who jesus is and what he's done that he died and he rose again and since he lives we also will live and i love that song that we were singing right before i came up um i'm not a i'm not a slave to fear i'm no longer a slave to fear i mean what's the worst that that can happen to me what's the worst that man can do to me the devil can do to me i can die but i'm not afraid of that because i'll i'll never die Uh, when i when i pass from here to heaven that's actually just a departure because he lives we also will live you know he is the one who has done the work i was writing down the the lyrics to that song uh, that another song is kind of cool. It says, Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated. The king is alive. And it's so cool to be able to just sing that and celebrate that and be a part of that. We believe that he died for our sins, that he rose again. And Paul says, according to the scriptures, that that saves us. You know, death has lost its sting, and not only for us, but even, you know, when our loved ones pass away in Christ. I know it's so difficult, but that, that hope, that certain certainty about the future, that one day we'll see them and we'll hug them, we'll be with them, it's so beautiful. And that's what this is all about. That's why we have to make sure that we possess it for ourselves and we protect the the preservation of what it is and we preach it to others you know because it's such a powerful message you know i I was reading a story about a a violinist named fritz chrysler and he was very famous and apparently he earned a fortune with his concerts and compositions but he generously gave away most of his money and so one day he discovered an exquisite violin on one of his trips but he wasn't able to buy it. Uh, Later, having raised enough money to meet the asking price, he returned to the seller, hoping to purchase the beautiful instrument, but to his great dismay, it had been sold to a collector. Not a violinist, but a collector. And so Chrysler made his way to the new owner's home and offered to buy the violin, and the collector said it had become part of his prized possessions and and he wouldn't sell it. And so deeply disappointed, Chrysler was about to leave when a thought came to his mind and he asked the owner, well, could I just play the instrument once more before it's consigned to silence? 
And so the permission was granted and the great virtuoso filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were swept away. And he said to the violinist, I have no right to keep this to myself. It's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. And that's what we need to do with this gospel. We can't hold it in. We can't commit the sin of silence. We need to tell people what Jesus has done. And the gospel, so simple and yet so profound. You know, that's why Paul wrote in the book of Romans, chapter 1 and verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation. For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. You know, you go up to someone on the, on the street or you tell your, your, your cousin or your compa, you know, a, a simple message. And I don't know, someone might think, well, it has to be like uh, fancier. It has to be more intellectual, you know. And, and the Lord says, no, it's just so simple. You go up to them and you tell them, Jesus loves them. He died for them. He rose again. If you believe today, right here, right now, I'm telling you this. The God of the universe will come into your life. That's what happened to me when this simple message, not delivered in a fancy way, simple message, God loves you. He died for you. He rose again. All you have to do is believe. And the moment I believed, God came into my life. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of it. I'll go and I'll tell people about Jesus. And that's why God used him in such a tremendous way. You know, earlier Paul had talked about this a little bit. If you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look what it says in verse 22. He says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. You know, Paul knew what, what's up. He knew what the way the world thinks. He knew typically that the Jews or the religious people would say, there's no way that's too easy. You mean to tell me that, you, you know, you're, you lived this life and you were a thief and and you were a murderer, and you did all that kind of stuff, and you're trying to tell me that if a person just believes in Jesus, that, that they'll be saved to the religious person. It, it's, 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 it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it's foolishness, because they're, they're too intellectual. You know, and they think, uh, for whatever crazy reason, that we're here um, through the process of random evolution, and we're all accidents, that there was an explosion, and then... You know, boom, here we are with all this love and life and colors and music and all the beautiful things that God has given to us. And they just think it's foolish. But for us, when you look at all the evidence, yeah, we might not see God, but we see the effects of God. Just like we don't see the wind, but we see the effects of the wind. There is a God. There is a maker. And, and so, you know, when you're talking about, well, how does someone find peace? How does someone find power? How can I mend my marriage? How can I reach 
my child? How can I find my purpose or be satisfied in life? It's Jesus. He died for you. He rose again. And all you have to do is believe. And God will come into your life. You know, I, I know when we read this right here, to, to me, I just like, Lord, this is so cool, so important. You know, I, I don't want to leave too quick. Let me give you guys four words to jot down somewhere, maybe on your heart or on paper about the gospel. Number one, the gospel is Christological. And that is a word, believe it or not, Christological. And what it means is that when it comes to the gospel, be Christ-centered. If the gospel is ever presented, Jesus, Christ, must be preached. And so we see it here as it's saturated through the scriptures. It's all about Jesus and the presentation of his life and death and resurrection. The gospel is not a process. It's not a program. It's a person. That's why when the evangelist Philip, when he was led by the Holy Spirit to lead a man to the Lord, he knew this. And the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 8, in verse 35, that Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. That's why earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, in verse 2, Paul said, when I came to Corinth, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's why a lot of times when you, when you see these movies today, they're, they're, they're taking his name in vain. And it should be deeply offend us because that's the name above all names it should not be taken in vain that's why you know when you see it why do they why don't they say buddha why don't they say some other name why do they say jesus because the devil's trying to take away that name that that name above all names you know when my children were young i still remember man those times when I had the privilege of tucking them into bed and I would ask them, well, how is a person saved? I would ask them this pretty much every night. And they knew the phrase to freedom, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But then I would tell them and I would ask them, even at a young age, give me the simple answer. And they would say, Jesus. Jesus. That's how someone is saved. See, the gospel is Christological. Number two, the gospel is biblical. And we see that here in verses three and four. Notice again, for I determined to you, first of all, that which I, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Notice, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and then he rose the third day, according to the scriptures. You see, knowing the gospel is Christological, it provides a greater focus, but knowing that the gospel is biblical provides a greater assurance. This isn't something that the New Testament guys invented or conjured up. No, this was rooted in the Bible. You know, one book I would recommend highly is a book entitled All the Messianic Prophecies by Herbert Lockyer. And in that book, he elaborates on 300 prophecies regarding the first coming of Christ. Another thing that, if you're interested, uh, we'll post it to the study, our audio study page. I have a paper. It's an awesome paper. 365 prophecies of Christ. 
in the Old Testament. Not vague, but man, they're specific to the T. The Bible had said that he would die for our sins. There was an atoning death. And the Bible pictured and predicted this in great detail, whether it be the Passover lamb, the rock that was smitten, when you study the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go in with the blood on behalf of all the people, the entire Levitical system pointed to Jesus. It's all just a shadow of the substance. Psalm 23, Isaiah 53, prophecy after prophecy. Truly he died as was prophesied. And not just his death, but his resurrection. In Psalm chapter 16, verse 10, it says, You will not leave my soul in shield, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And so it's all there in the Old Testament how the Messiah, the Mashiach, the Savior of the world would die for our sins and he would rise from the grave. You know, what we see the gospel is Christological, the gospel is biblical, and then thirdly, the gospel is theological. And, and basically what that means is that it's not just history, it's theology. As John Stott said, the death and resurrection of Jesus were not only historic events, they had a theological or saving significance. He not only died, but he died for our sins. And that's how we're saved and that's how we stand and so we need to know it's not just historical it's theological he bore my sins he died for my sins he died my death he won the war and in doing so he lavishes us with life and so the fourth thing after the gospel is christological biblical theological the last thing is the gospel is personal and so, know the gospel is personal. And that means that we all must make a personal choice to receive the gospel and to believe the gospel and to hold tight to the gospel. You know, it's not something that your parents can do for you. It's not something that, you know, you know uh, I don't know, well, I grew up in the church. A lot of times people say that. Well, I was raised in the church. And, you know, you know a lot of things in your head. But, but our concern is that, you know, you went to church all your life and you knew your theology, but it never became personal. You know, we talk a lot about a personal relationship with God. It requires a personal decision on your part. Have you honestly, you honestly said, yes, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I crown you as king. That's a personal decision that only you can make. Joshua 24, 15, it says, uh, Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. He said, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so I pray, if you haven't already done that, that today would be the day that you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I know uh, by far most of you already have. But man, maybe there's one person out there. Maybe that's you, that one person. And today is a day of, of power. Today is the day of forgiveness. Today is the day where God will break every chain. But you got to make that choice. I was thinking this, and you guys know I'm kind of dorky, huh? Um, I was thinking how we call it live stream. 
live stream. And I thought, wow, doesn't that have to do with life? Like live stream. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if somebody found life today? That's my prayer. We, we, we see the, the gospel and then we close real quick with not only the gospel who's, that saves, but the gang who saw. And I'm just going to read through this. Notice in verse 5, and that he was seen, so after Jesus rose, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the great, greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, he was seen by 500 people. Most of them were still alive. There, Paul here is saying, man, there's a great witness to this. After that, he was seen by James and then by all the apostles. And more than likely, now he's just talking about in order. Like there was a time and then all the apostles saw him again. And then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. You know, we've talked about this before in our resurrection service that, you know, Jesus was seen alive. You're like, well, I haven't seen him. I, I know that when you become a Christian, in one sense you do. But it doesn't matter. The truth is he rose from the grave and there are over 500 witnesses to testify of this truth. See, in our study today, we see the gospel that saves. We see the gang who saw. And by the way, someone like James, brother of Jesus, he didn't believe. He would have never believed unless he saw. Same thing with Paul. Paul was a murderer, but he became a, mur a missionary. Paul was a persecutor, but he became a prophet for the church. Paul was a Jew, and he became a Christian. How did that happen? Because he saw the risen Lord. And so we see the gospel that saves the gang who saw, and then the last thing is the grace to serve. In verse 9, he says again, For I am the least of the apostles, who I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. See, in our study, it's so cool. The gospel that saves, that's so important, man. The, but then the gang who saw, and then the grace to serve. Because at, at the end of the day, when you're looking at this whole thing, you know, what we find is that this is love. This is love. Jesus died for you. That, that's love. And it's true love. Because we have witnesses of this whole thing. It's true love. So what will we do with this true love? And Paul the Apostle, he does the only thing that makes any sense. He says, man, I am going to serve the Lord with all my life. And sometimes, you know, being in ministry, I don't know. Some people, they might get tired. Oh, it's a lot of service and there's not a day off. And when you want to, you know, whatever, have some me time, it, it just disappears. 
And, and to me, when I see the true love, I understand why. This grace that's been given to me, wow, Lord, I, it's a grace that is working in me so that I can labor more abundantly. Jesus said, I, I've come that they may have life and that more abundantly. What does that abundantly mean to you? What does that mean? You want more money? You want more stuff? What does the abundantly mean to you that you want to feel better about yourself? No, the abundantly, to me, the abundant life is the privilege and the honor and the grace. I have to serve the one who was nailed to a cross for me. And it's so cool because when you look at this whole chapter here, that's the logic that Paul gives. You know, it's never because I'm going to earn it, you guys, because I never will. Never will. I'm never worthy to preach or teach or do anything for the Lord. But it's by the grace of God that works in me. But it's interesting how Paul goes through this whole chapter on the resurrection of Jesus and the gospel and the whole thing. And notice how he closes it. Look at the last verse. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, it's the gospel that saves. It's the gang who saw. But it is, and then it's, it's just the grace that we can serve. Last night, um, I, we had a Zoom meeting with the, with the pastors. And it was just so cool being able to share with them. And the Lord, while we were talking, he laid that verse on my heart. And he's, I don't know, the Lord just said to me, tell these guys that it's not in vain that their prayers are not in vain, that their labor is not in vain, that their love is not in vain. And therefore, let's serve you guys. As we do, it's so cool to see what God will do. And Paul is such a great example of that. And so for us as a church, I pray that uh, we would just, uh, man, draw near to God, that we would be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And um, I pray that as we go through life, you guys, you know, don't hold it in. Um, tell people about Jesus. And you might be out there thinking, well, I don't know, I'm not a theologian. Well, just tell them he loves them. He died for them. He rose again on the third day. And if they would believe, then they can be saved.